Open your Bible to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, right before Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. We'll get there in just a minute. All month long, or at least the bulk of the month, we're going to be talking about love. Now, it's no coincidence that love is a four-letter word. It's no coincidence that love has so many different ideas of what love is. Love uh, will make you do crazy things. It will make you endure countless heartaches. It will make you uh, uh, believe in somebody that for all practical purposes it doesn't look like you should believe in them. It will make you buy something. It will make you sell something. It will make you do something. It will make you say something. Love is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful force on the planet, according to Jesus, when he says faith, hope, and love are great, but the greatest is love. So love is very interesting. God himself is defined as love. uh, But then also love is defined in our New Testament a couple of different ways. But one of the primary ways it says, For this is love, not that you loved God, but that he first loved you and gave himself as a propitiation, as a payment for your sins. So I remember uh, when I was young, I I knew that scripture. And, uh, uh, you know, people would say things like that. We love him because he first loved us. And I was like, man, I never had a chance to love him first. Maybe I would have loved him first, you know, but that's a very immature thought when you understand the gravity of the love of Christ. And the fact remains that love exists because Christ chose to love us before we even uh, decided we were going to, which means He effectively, though He knows all things and knows understands all things, for your understanding and my understanding, you could say it this way, Christ loved you and gave Himself for you without knowing or without regard as to whether or not you are going to choose to accept him now of course he knows that but i'm talking about in our own capacity to understand so before you had a chance to say yes or no he was already loving you love is the is the power of god it is one of the uh definition and most powerful characteristics of god love will change your life if you can get a revelation of how it applies to your life your finances your relationship your areas of life your home every area of your life can be changed by the power Power of love. The problem is, is we live in a place called the world. What I love is I love the fact that our our children's church is starting a series called the New Normal, and it's all about how uh, the world's normal is not our normal. Can I just give you some examples? Uh, the world's normal says that it's normal for somebody to go and kiss thirty different women in one day and then 25 different women next week, and then 20 women the next week until they find out which one has the sweetest tasting lipstick, and then they're going to put a ring on their finger, and everything's going to be hunky-dory and wonderful. It's not true. It's a lie. The world is trying to tell you what love is. If you want to know a different example, you go to Kroger, and you buy your milk and your eggs and your bread, and if you're me, you don't buy eggs because you have four chickens that lay four eggs a day, and life is wonderful when you have yard eggs. But if you're not like me, you got to buy eggs when you're at Kroger. So you go to Kroger and you're sitting there and you're going to the checkout aisle and there's 15 different magazines sitting there that I would like to take gasoline, throw it on them and burn them to the ground so I don't have to protect my children's little innocent eyes from seeing the smut and the filth that they're shoving down their throat at a young age. I'm back. 
It drives me bananas that the world is trying so aggressively to tell you and me and anybody who will listen what love is, but the world doesn't have the foggiest idea what love is because God is love, and if you know the world, you don't even know God. How could you know? Magazines, movies, television shows. Everything's trying to tell us what love is. Young people, don't listen to MTV. It's not right. It's a lie. Be not deceived. Don't listen to the ones that tell you that love's got to be hard. I, so there's a great couple that's in uh, mine and Crystal's life and uh, we have dinner together and uh, we just love them. We're great friends and, and, and just, just great people. And they came to us the other day and we're, we're just eating dinner, having a good time. And they said, you know what somebody told us when we got married? I said, what? They said, we had about five people at our wedding. At the wedding. I said, boy, all the good times are over now. What? Yeah, I mean, now it's just, here comes the misery of marriage. Let me tell you something. The only misery in marriage is what you've chosen to tolerate and allow to stay. God says, I'm here to give you life and life more abundant. What He's involved in is for your benefit, for your peace, and for your joy. If you really loved me, you would not disagree with me. If you really loved me, you would do this. If you really loved me, you would do that. You see, God knew that we were going to need a reference point because our lives and our minds are so fickle when it comes to love, when it comes to relationship. So our mind and our lives need something to base it off of, uh, need something to go back to and say, this is the ultimate truth. Therefore, we can agree or disagree on whether or not chocolate pie is better than vanilla pie, and we can agree or disagree on whether or not carrot cake is the best cake in the world. And if you don't think it is then you've never had my wife's carrot cake but we can disagree on points like that all day long but we cannot we must not we have to absolutely guarantee that we refuse to agree that love is defined by any other thing other than what's written in god's holy bible this is love for us we're not playing games anymore it's over we're not, we're not here to make friends. We're here to make disciples. And in the process, we will make lots of friends along the way. But if you want to follow something else, then quit calling it Christianity. Because it's not. Not talking to anybody, talk, not talking to anybody or about anybody in here because you're in the house of God on Sunday morning. I'm saying this because somebody's going to download this thing off the internet and listen to it and their mind and their ears have been washed with the silver, uh, the silver sounding, uh, words and enunciations of scriptures that aren't even in the Bible and then they get an idea of what love is and then they try to figure out, well, why is it failing? Well, that's because it never was in the Bible. You're not supposed to live that way. You're supposed to be in the world but not of the world there's a difference for you and for me we're called to a higher purpose a higher calling a higher positioning you don't play by the same set of rules the rules of the world are maybe the word of god does not return void it's lock stock and barrel guaranteed Marriage, for those of you who are married and those that want to be married, is the very first covenant, the very first institution that God put on planet Earth that we see. He said, here's the deal. I'm going to make man after my likeness and my image. 
And what he did is he formed him in his likeness and his image. If you read those words in the Hebrew, it's like he's looking at his shadow, like I'm looking at my shadow on the ground. And it's like he formed him out of himself. That's why when Jesus came to earth, nobody thought that he looked funny because he looks like a man. And the reality is, is he doesn't look like a man. A man looks like God and God and Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when we get to heaven and you see Jesus, you're not going to go, hey, wow, he looks like an alien. No, 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 no. He looks like a man. But the truest form is we look like him. We're made his likeness in his image. So God made man his likeness in his image. And then he realized, hey, that's just a pretty good rough draft. And then he perfected it by making a woman. Especially my wife, Crystal. So he made man and woman. And he says, you two are going to be called, be made one flesh. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. He says, I'm not just putting you here so you can put your feet up. I need you as representatives in this arena. You are my ambassadors. You are the ones that represent the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who spoke everything into existence. You're my representatives. So the very first institution shows the priority of marriage or relationships to God is very, very high. The problem is we as people sometimes don't put our relationships in the proper prioritization as we should. This morning when we ordained Pastor Matthew, I said this. I said, Matthew... I said, the level of your relationships ought to always fall in this order. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and then your relationship with the church or the kingdom of God. With God, with family, then the church. God, family, church. God, family, church. And I said, Matthew, I said, if you get those out of order, you're going to ruin the whole thing. You get those out of order and everything is now on your shoulders instead of on his shoulders. So God was showing us by the very first institution being marriage, the priority of marriage. But before he gave Adam Eve, he already had relationship with Adam. Now, the interesting thing is when you give God the first relationship in your life. It doesn't lessen or weaken the relationship with your spouse or your family. But He causes all things to work together for your good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Which means, somehow, supernaturally, He causes you to be a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, a better father, all because you put things in right order. God never changes. He's not fixing to change tomorrow. The fact that your relationship is first, the fact that your relationship with Him is first, positions you for success in every area, in every arena. Ecclesiastes 4 says this with regards to uh, two. It says two are better than one because uh, uh, they have a good reward for their labor, meaning one person can do one thing well, but if you add another person, now the reward gets bigger. Doesn't take half the time to do a task that it would have taken. Two's better than one. For if one falls, the other lifts him up. Woe to the one that doesn't have anybody to help him get up. Eleven says, and again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But if it's just one, how can they be warm? Now next week, uh, we're going to be teaching and continuing the same process, the same, uh, the same series. Love is in the air, but I just wanted to let you know if you have anybody 10 years old or younger, uh, you might really consider putting them in kids' church next week because uh, we're probably going to cover some PG-13 topics uh, very respectfully.
uh, very honorably and straight from the Scripture. Uh, but how many of you know we don't back off of any part of the Bible because we believe the whole Bible's true? So just anyway, uh, come in with uh, popcorn and Coke because it's going to be a little PG-13. Again, two lie together, they have heat, but if one, they don't. And if one prevail against them, meaning if somebody comes and overthrows you, two can withstand them. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. So the Bible says that two can withstand. What's the third? You got a man, you got a woman, and you have the Lord. And when you have that type of a relationship and that type of establishment in your marriage, it cannot, will not, must not, and shall not be broken. One other note. The Bible says that you are to leave and cleave from your family, which means you are to leave what is previous and cleave to the one that God has given you. Now, that's easier said than done in a lot of cases. But so many times in our life, we get to the place where relationships outside of our marriage are affecting the relationship of our marriage. When you said, I do, to your loved one, or future tense, if you're going to, it's no longer me and my boys and my marriage. It's no longer me and my girlfriends and my marriage. It is my marriage and everybody else. Nothing about your life, nothing, not one little facet, other than your relationship with God, should supersede the relationship you have with your spouse. And if you'll do nothing else other than to put that in proper order, and can I just say this? It does not happen on accident. The world is pulling you in every single direction imaginable. It happens on purpose. When you drive to the gas tank, when you drive to the gas station, you have a choice as to whether or not you're going to put gasoline in your car or anything else. You go take a gallon of milk and pour it in your car, it's not going to run properly because you're feeding the car what it doesn't need and is designed for something else. If you pour gasoline over your cinnamon toast crunch in the morning, it's going to ruin your meal and probably your dishes. But it's not designed for that. You see, in your life, you've got to be very purposeful about how you live, about how you work on your relationships and how you work on your marriage. Amen? Song of Solomon, chapter number 1. Song of Solomon is a beautiful book. Interestingly enough, uh, young Hebrew boys were not even allowed to read the Song of Solomon. They call it the Song of Songs. We're not allowed to read the Song of Songs until they reach a certain age because, uh, frankly, it's so graphic. If you've never read the Song of Solomon, uh, I would strongly recommend it. It is about the passionate love between a man and a woman. And it's also a great representation of the passionate love between Jesus Christ and His church or Jesus Christ and you. So all through there, we can see just the passionate love and the way that God has established a love to work between a man and a woman. And the woman, the Bible says, uh, is, is talking in verse number 5. And she's looking at herself and she says, I'm black, but I'm uh, uh, lovely. And the word black there is not the word like the color black like we would say. It, it like, like black, white, 
uh, something like that. It's the word, I am dark, I have been burned by the sun. Daughters of Jerusalem as the tents of Kedar, as the cedars of Solomon, as the curtains of Solomon. Don't look at me. I, I, I'm, I'm nice to look at, but, but I've just been burned. He says, then she says in verse 6, don't look at me. I, I'm black. I'm burnt because the sun has looked upon me. The sun has burned me. My mother's children, my brothers were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Meaning, I took care of everything that they made me take care of. I worked in the bald sun my whole life, and, and everything's fine. But my body paid the price. My skin paid the price. So she was very self conscious about her own skin and then verse 7 uh the 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 beloved says to her the man says to her he says tell me uh uh uh, for whom my soul loveth the one that i love he said where do you feed where do you take your flocks to rest and why wouldn't you turn them aside uh to be next to me the flocks of your companions and if not O fairest among women go your way uh, forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed your kids beside the shepherd's tent meaning come over here by me woman but isn't it interesting? He says to her, she says, she says, I'm just so burnt. I'm, 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 I'm just scarred. Don't look at me. And the first thing he says to her is, oh, you are fairest among women. You are more beautiful than sunshine. You are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then he says, I've compared you uh, to the horses of Pharaoh, which means the beautiful uh, things of this world. Then he says, your cheeks, the cheeks that she's talking about that have been burned and ridiculed, he's talking about how beautiful her cheeks are. Can I just say this? When you get married, you become one flesh. That means when she hurts, you hurt. When he hurts, you hurt. So what kind of a person would have their own arm cut and bleeding and ignore it and just let it bleed. When somebody that you love is in pain, it's not your responsibility to dance in their grief or dance in their sorrows, but it's your responsibility to cover immediately the wounds that they sense that they have and the insecurities that they have. You see, God has equipped you, each one of you who has a spouse and everybody who's believing God for a spouse, He has equipped you that in the right time, in the right moment, when nobody else can hear God's voice, that you will be able to build that person up in their time of need, in their time of doubt. How many times have you listened to your wife and say something and you go, Oh, I wish she hadn't have said that. Well, tell her. If she says she's not good enough, tell her she's more than enough. And can I just say this? If you sense that she's feeling that way, tell her before she says it. That's called the Holy Spirit. That's called the impression of God. That's called a word of knowledge. Discernment. That's called changing your environment by the power of God and being the man of the house that He has called you to be. So many times in our life, we miss those opportunities and I'm not here to look in the rearview mirror or to ask you to do that either. I'm here to say moving forward, let's be the husband that God's called us to be. Ladies, unless he's weird, don't talk about how pretty his cheeks are. Maybe he had a beard, and all she could see was his cheeks. 
And maybe she would have said the same thing. I don't know. But either way, don't call him the fairest of 10,000. Unless he just likes to hear that. You know how your man is put together. But let me just give you a couple of examples of how she spoke to him. She would be around her friends. And instead of saying, he was late again. I don't know if he'll ever cut the grass again. It makes me so mad when he doesn't call me when he's on the way home. Number one, none of their business. Number two, you're tearing him down. He can't hear me. You can hear you. And they hear you. She's around her friends, maybe getting her nails done. And instead of talking about anything negative, she says, he's like a deer. You should see him. Leaping over mountains. I know there's lots of trees in the forest, girls. But my man is the tallest, strongest tree of all. You should see how much shade his limbs put out. And I am comfortable under his limbs. If you would say that, he will do anything for you. I know we make it funny because Mary Poppins proved that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But are you on purpose building your man up? Crystal's over in the, Crystal, my wife, over in the children's church teaching the kids she's probably the best at it I've ever seen she'll say things like this I'll come in I'll set my stuff down I'll get me a little sugar I start kissing the kids she says this kind of stuff in front of the kids she'll say daddy thank you for taking care of us so good and I'll be honest with you, I get a little weak in the knees. You say, Daddy, thank you for loving us like you do. In front of the kids. And all the kids start going, yeah, Daddy, thanks. Thanks. And when she says that, I feel like Superman. Can I say it in King James? Johnny, you're going to love this. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And instead of building our spouses up with every breath we have, for some reason the world has convinced us that somehow we should tear them down, which being one flesh, is doing nothing but wounding yourself. 
Love will make you do anything. I remember when I was dating Crystal. I lived in Beaumont. She lived in Texas City. Let me tell you how I met her first. For you guys who are believing God for a spouse, you don't have to be on The Bachelor to find one. I was praying, and my uncle came to town and was having a revival service. And I was with him, and after service, we were in an office, and we were praying, because that's what Christians do. They pray. So we were praying, and God gave me a vision. Not in a weird way, not in a... Like, like a Polaroid picture... In my mind, I still see the, you know, the Polaroids had the little white part on the bottom and the white border around it. It was literally like somebody held a Polaroid up in my mind and showed me a picture of Crystal. And I was like, whoa, man, yeah. Woo-hoo. And then out of my mouth, I prophesied, my wife is in Texas City. I was in Beaumont. My wife is in Texas City. And about 40 days later, I went down to my uncle's house. And I, I told him that night, I said, man, God showed me my wife. I can't wait to meet her. And he's full of faith, so he didn't say, oh, that's silly. He said, praise God. So I get into his house, walk in the door, and sitting on the kitchen, swinging her legs, is my beautiful bride. And I fell out in the floor, not really. And I walked over to her because bashful's kind of never been my M.O. If you've been around me very long, uh, I'm not incredibly shy. So I walked up to her, clubbed her over the head and drug her to my cave. <laughs> I walked over to her, I said, I said, well, <clears throat> hey. She said, hey. Didn't even look at me. Hey. I said, uh, what's your name? Crystal. I said, I'm Brian. She said, I know who you are. And immediately fear struck me. Because I didn't know what else you knew about me. And I said, oh, well, nice to meet you. Couldn't think of anything to say, so I told her, I'm the best ping pong player you've ever met. You want to watch me play? She goes, no. I said, huh, what do I say now? She doesn't know this, and I didn't share it in the first service because she was in here. And she would have corrected me. But when we were playing ping pong later, and I was winning, I would catch her occasionally looking at me because I had such great form, you know. And I was making noises so she would look. Ah! So she might have just been looking at me, rolling her eyes, maybe not looking at me with doe eyes, but anyway. So I went home. I remember praying that day, leaving my uncle's driveway in my truck. I remember praying, oh God, thank you for showing me my wife. That's her, I know it. And if it's not the right season and it's not the right time, I'm willing to wait. I hope it is! But if it's not, I'm willing to wait. That was number one. And number two, I remember saying this, and I don't recommend this necessarily, but this is what I said. I said, I'm even willing to watch her date somebody else if that's where she's at right now because I know she's coming to me. <clears throat> so I went home, and the next day I called the church where she went to church, my uncle's church, and I got my aunt on the phone. It was Aunt Nancy. 
I said, I said, hello, Aunt Nancy. This is Brian. He said, oh, hey, Brian, how you doing? I said, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I said, hey, uh, could, could, you, could, you, um, could, you, could you give me somebody's address from the church? What, what, what do you need somebody's address for? Well, just because, Aunt Nancy, can you please give it to me or not? Goodness. He said, well, who? I said, Crystal Johnson. She said, oh. I see. And I started writing her letters. I started sending her notes. Sent her Valentine's. right around Valentine's. Sent her Valentine. I sent her selfies. No, <laughs> selfies who came up with selfies we live in a vain generation anyways I would send her things started dating her I ran off all the other guys that were trying to suit her at that time you know the bible says the violent taketh by force you mess with somebody else's but you not messing with mine so she, of course, begged me to marry her, and I did. She's not here, is she? I dated her for a year. I asked her to marry me. She said yes, underneath the street light in Durango, Colorado, at about 9 o'clock at night, with the snow falling so gently it looked like a postcard. I got down on my knees. Got down on one knee. I prayed right there on the spot. Prayed in the Holy Spirit for a moment. Because the Bible says that's how we build ourselves up on our most holy faith. And if she said no, I don't know what I would have done. But she said yes. And my wife has become, or is, whatever you want to call it, the greatest encourager that I've ever been around when it comes to marriage. And anything good that's in me comes from my relationship with God and my relationship with her. The power of life and death rests in your mouth. Speak life into your relationships and see what God won't do. I'm going to close with this. Banners and foxes. The Bible says in Song of Solomon... Chapter 2 and verse 4. The lady's talking about Solomon. and says, He takes me to the banquet table and his banner over me is love. For you and for me, we, we get to the place where, you know, there's just a lot of cares in the world and relationships and we start to take for granted things. If you've ever been on a mission trip or in some kind of situation or just in dire straits where you don't have running water, you'll never take advantage of running water again. Take for granted running water again. You'll never take for granted a, a roof over your head if you've ever slept in a rainstorm. You'll never take for granted not having enough to eat if you've ever gone hungry for a week. You'll never take it for granted. But for whatever reason in our lives, we tend to take for granted different things. We take for granted the relationships, especially the ones that are close to us and precious to us. We just take for granted. But the Bible says we know a tree by its fruit, which means you walk up to an apple tree and you don't wonder if it's an orange tree because the apples that are hanging on it, that fruit of a tree could just as well be the banner of the tree that describes and defines what the tree is. 
So in your life and in my life, you guys walk by a banner this morning coming into church. There's two banners that say New Heights Church to identify what this place is on a Sunday morning and what's happening on the inside. It's banners identifying what's going on in your life and in my life. The banner over your spouse ought to be loved. There should be some fruit hanging on the tree that when people look around, they can see that that is a relationship that is filled to overflowing with love. I'm not talking about crazy PDA. I'll be honest with you. I'm not into that. It's just not for me. Whatever. I'm not saying I won't kiss my wife. You play the right song, brother. <laughs> His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. I'm trying not to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When we were dating... Uh, 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 I took her to a place called Kima a lot. Kima, they got a boardwalk. It's on the water. It's beautiful. They have boats. They have restaurants. They have aquariums and all these beautiful things. They have carnival games where you throw the ball and knock the thing down. They have carnival games where you uh, uh, shoot the basketball and win the thing. It's just amazing. And we had spent a lot of time and a lot of money uh, at that time, which was probably about like $11, you know, a lot of money. And we were walking around the boardwalk and I was holding her hand and, and, and she had all these teddy bears and stuff that I'd won for and, and she's just walking around. Cause we were courting, man. We were lovebirds. We're just walking around, skipping. Everything's wonderful. I got the prettiest girl on the beach and, and just life is just so good and, and I just can't complain. And in my mind is this song going on and it's the song that goes like this. Baby, baby, I get down on my knees for you. And I'm just, man, I'm just, I'm just happy. And, and you know those people that you really care about because you can sing in front of them. And, and, and most people don't sing like this worship team up here. And I would probably put myself in the most people category. So, so when, when you're around people that you really care about, you can tell who you're close with because you'll sing around them. I wish Johnny wasn't so close to me because brother. So I'm walking, I'm singing and everything's, but she just stops. Boom. And she goes, well, do it then. Do what, woman? Well, get down on your knees. I said, there's people around here. She goes, and? I said, woman, I'm not getting down on my knees or all these people. I, I... I, I just, this one's been hurting anyway, you know. She said, I'm not going anywhere then. I said, fine, stay there. So I'm sitting there and I'm weighing it out. I'm like, ah, I don't want to get down on my knees for all these people. So I did. Down on my knees. I said, are you happy? She said, now sing. (laughs) So I sang. And she goes, okay, let's go. banner over her is love her banner over me is love 
take the little foxes. Verse 15. But spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. What this is saying is the little foxes come in and they eat the grapes and they ruin the harvest. It's the little foxes, the little foxes, the little foxes, the little things come in, the little things come in. Did you know uh, most of the time the big things that happen in a marriage and a relationship, they're the effect of something, not the cause of something. The, the cause of something, if you really look at it, is some kind of a small wedge that began sometimes days, hours, or years before that you never dealt with and it ruined the whole harvest. Don't ever let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't ever let yourself and your wife, your spouse, your husband, don't ever let your relationship come to nighttime or night. Listen, just commit. There's some things in the Bible that are allegorical. What that means is it's, it's not something where it's like we need to really do this. But here's the scenario. When it says be baptized, you really need to be baptized. It says be baptized. When he says do this in remembrance of me, take communion, do that in remembrance of him. So in that same scenario, when it says don't let the sun go down, your, don't let a day end. You guys don't go to sleep. Don't go to bed with some kind of problem between you and your spouse and just say that my spouse is important enough to me that I don't care. I could go one night, two nights, or ten nights without sleep, but I'm not going to bed with this wedge between me and the gift that God has given me. You go in, in the woods and you cut down a big tree. I've done it. And you got your chainsaw and you make just a little old bitty cut like that. And then you move the chainsaw out and then you take something called a wedge and it looks like a piece of pie and you put that wedge into the tree like that and then you take a, a hammer and you start hitting that thing bang, bang, bang and that wedge starts out super small like this like you can't even see the end of it like the blade of a knife but the more you drive that thing in there the thicker it gets and the thicker it gets the top of that tree starts to, starts to tip over and the top of that tree starts to lean and before you know it something that fits in the palm of your hand has fallen a 150 foot tall 150 foot tall tree because you didn't deal with the little things the whole thing came tumbling down banners and foxes his banner over me is love told your wife that you love her one time and it was on your wedding day get better at it ladies if you've never called your man a deer leaping over mountains try it you have so much power the problem is it's both directions life and is in your mouth. Speak life. Let's all stand to our feet, please. One more thought. Just so we'll get some more doctrine because I love the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 26, where it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, also says, when you get angry, don't sin. It doesn't say don't get angry. 
because somebody's going to cut you off in traffic and no matter how redeemed you get, depending on how late you are, where you're going, something might rise up on the inside of you, but you have a choice on how you respond. The world and the world's teaching will tell you, I did it because I was frustrated. I did it because I was mad and everybody should just be okay with it. Nonsense. Everybody should not just okay be okay with the nonsense that you do because you're frustrated. This world does not revolve around you or me. So in the moments of frustration, in the moments when it's hard, don't sin. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything. And then if you don't grab any practical thing from today, build your spouse up and see what they become. You cannot treat a racehorse like a mule and expect it to win the race. You cannot feed dog food to cows and expect them to prosper. You got to feed what your spouse needs. It comes out of your mouth and into their ears. Let's all bow our heads. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the covenant of marriage.